I just want to say how extremely excited I am to be speaking for you guys. Uh, I honestly had no idea what I was going to talk about when JD asked me to speak out of this passage. Um, and I am grateful that the Lord has blessed me to be able to speak about it in front of you today. Um, I am blessed that I, as a peer, get to be in front of you today as well. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jacob. I am the Crosstalk intern here this year. Uh, I've been at Cypress Creek for about four years, uh, as well as Crosstalk. Uh, I normally serve as the drummer here on Sunday mornings and at Crosstalk, so a uh, big thank you to Ben for stepping in this week. Um, so I'm going to do things a little bit different, uh, a little bit unusual. I want to jump right into the scripture and then just distract you guys with a bunch of nonsense about my life, uh, and then we'll jump back in, let you guys ruminate on this scripture. So uh, here we are in Luke chapter 7, verse 18, if you want to join me. It says that John's disciples told him about all these things, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus, Jesus' words acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. It's a lot to digest. Well, we'll get to that in a second. I just wanted to spend a few minutes getting to know you guys, getting, letting you guys get to know me. Like I said, my name is Jacob. I serve as the intern here. Uh, my time growing up, I spent uh, a lot of time in the church. I was raised in, an, in the church from a great Christian family. Um, I grew up in uh, Tomball for a time. Uh, and then when I was about 10 years old, I moved to Plantersville, Texas. Uh, which is a very small town. 
uh, kind of close to College Station. Um, that's where the big Texas Renaissance Festival is for those who are big into that. Um, I had a pretty good childhood. I had a good time knowing the Lord. I had some struggles, just like everyone else. Um, I was thankful to get a chance to come here to San Marcos uh, after I graduated. Uh, spending time just in the community, not knowing anyone. Uh, struggled a lot here on my own, being moved out from my family, not really having a lot of friends here, uh, just kind of my roommate and the people I worked with. Uh, and so that came and brought me here to Cypress Creek. I knew I wanted to join a church the moment I got to town. And I saw that Cypress was, uh, their San Marcos location was in the mark on the square. And I thought, the, a church in a, in a bar and a club, that's pretty cool. So I decided to go check it out and fell in love instantly. Um, Crosstalk, I got plugged in the next semester. Uh, I wasn't quite a student here yet. I transferred in the next year from ACC. Um, but I was really blessed to be here, to really uh, get to know the people here. Um, God really uh, spoke to me in a low time of loneliness to be here. I kept hearing the word community over and over and over again in my talks with people, in the messages I heard while I was here. Uh, so I joined a community group, and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And so uh, it's led to a lot of great relationships I have here, and I'm thankful to be a part of Crosstalk. That being said, my time has not been filled with roses uh, as a Christian, and I'm sure that you can relate. Uh, a lot of who I am, I don't know if anyone's like really into the Enneagram, uh, but I worked with someone a couple of summers ago that was just obsessed with it. And so I, <laughs> I did a lot of research I uh, kind of got into it a bit myself. I am an Enneagram type nine. Something I've struggled with as a nine is I constantly doubt myself. I constantly doubt my decisions uh, when I'm in an unhealthy place, spiritually, mentally, uh, emotionally. And that's led to a lot of really tough conversations with God. That's led to a lot of tough conversations where I don't know who I am. I don't know who God is. And I don't know who the people are around me, and I don't know what my future looks like. And so that's led to a lot in my life, a lot of growth, a lot of hardship. But uh, God has taught me a lot through that. And that's what I want to kind of get into here is talking about that. And so if we, if we look at this story, there's, of course, a lot going on here, but I want to focus in on what's happening to John. So John here is in prison. Uh, John the Baptist, we know from further scripture, or from earlier scriptures that we talked about, John's birth was miraculous in and of itself. A lot of uh, John's life can be paralleled to Jesus. Uh, he was born in a miraculous situation. Uh, he was, the moment he was born, there were a lot of interesting things going on where the Lord blessed him with speech. Uh, blessed him with words of wisdom. And so his parents <laughs> shipped him off to the wilderness. And that's where he spent most of his life until he came out to serve the life that we know of him now, where he's speaking the words of God. He's speaking words of prophecy. And what's interesting here is that John gets to be the person who speaks the word of God and from the words of God himself for the first time in 400 years, from the last time we heard from God back in the Old Testament. So this is where we know that John is important. 
we know that John and Jesus are entangled in this moment. So John here is in prison because of his uh, criticism of King Herod at the time. Uh, we know roughly that he spent about 10 months. That's a lot of time in isolation, a lot of time after having spent years preaching the word of God, after spending years baptizing those in the name of the Lord. We even see Jesus earlier on come and be baptized by John himself. So we know that John knows the Lord. We know that John knows Jesus. We know in the scripture that Jesus, or that John hears the Lord of, uh, of God speak about Jesus as this is my son whom I'm well pleased. So we know that John knows who Jesus is. So that's what makes this moment interesting. So a little bit before, if you'll read in verse 16, uh, right here in, verse, in uh, chapter seven, it says that they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout all of Judea and the surrounding country. So what's interesting here is this before here, if you want a little context, Jesus is kind of doing his whole miracle tour. He's performing acts of God. He's performing miraculous miracles of, of healing people, of bringing people to the name because of, of the miraculous things that he's doing. And so uh, because of that, people are starting to take notice. Of course, this is not the first time in biblical history that we've seen it. Jesus is not just another prophet. Here is a moment where it catches John's eye from prison, from the words that he hears from his disciples. As they say in verse 16, God has come to help his people. This is where we see Jesus as God himself. We hear it before. We hear God saying that this is my son whom I'm well pleased. But here we hear the people acknowledge that Jesus is God himself here among the people to help his people. So John hears of this, and so we move on to verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? It's kind of interesting knowing what we know about John. John's known Jesus for a good time. Now, they may not be close friends, but John was there to baptize Jesus himself. He knew Jesus when Jesus approached to say, I am not worthy, you should be the one baptizing me. He knows who Jesus is, yet we hear him questioning, should we expect someone else? Now, um, there's hope in this, in this, this doubt that John has. See, John is in prison, he's in isolation. He spent a lot of time serving Lord, serving the Lord, speaking the Lord. I know that it's easy to relate to that as Christians. We serve the Lord willfully. We serve the Lord in our speech and our actions as best as we can. And sometimes we're just not really dealt a great hand. We struggle. It's easy to question. God, are you the one? God, why am I sitting in prison if I'm so important? Why am I sitting here in isolation if Jesus is the one? If he's the one, why am I still here? Why am I not been broken out? These are questions that the enemy attacks John with because he's been in isolation. He's been separated by God's work for so long that he's starting to wonder where, what happened to his role. See, we know 
that John is struggling here. And it's, it's easy to pass over, but I, I want you to pay attention to it because that's where the important message is here, where, why Jesus does what he does, why he responds how he does. So we see in verse 20, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What does Jesus do in this moment? Does he, does he give them words? Does he ask them questions? Does he ask how John's doing? No, we just see here in 21, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of Jesus saying, like, seriously? <laughs> you, you're going to ask me that? You, John, <laughs> you're going to ask me that? He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He steps back and says, okay, I see, see what's going on here. What's interesting about all of these things that Jesus does in this moment is it's a direct parallel to Scripture in the Old Testament. See, we know from what J.D. was talking about a few weeks ago from Luke chapter 2 that Jesus from a young age was going out of his way to spend days in the temple listening to the words of God, listening to the Scriptures, listening to great philosophers, great teachers, about who God is and what his scriptures say in the Old Testament. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Jesus spent his life studying the scriptures, and he knew that John did the same. John spent his entire life in the wilderness up to this moment before he comes to speak the Lord of God. He spent that time not just eating locusts and honey, but he was studying the scriptures, waiting for his time. See, we see here in Isaiah 35, 5, we see, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame men leap like deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Later on in 61, here in verse 1, we see in Isaiah, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now that's interesting because that's exactly what Jesus does here. We see him give sight to the blind, heal diseases, sicknesses. We see him talk about making the lame walk, healing those with leprosy, making the deaf hear, the dead raised, the good news proclaimed to the poor, where we see here in 61. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. The parallels are important because Jesus isn't just doing some random acts. There's some random people he sees say, okay, I need to send a message to John. How about you guys just line up and I'm going to heal you all? No, he does exactly what he needs to in order to catch John's attention about the scriptures because he knows that John knows them well. We know this. So he does this exact thing. However, here, the interesting thing is, is that Jesus give, is giving a message not only of I am who I say I am, but he's also giving a message of hope to John by not talking about the end here of 61. See, the first half of 61.1, we see, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We see that. Jesus talks about that. 
but he doesn't say anything about, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. He knows where John's at. He knows John is in prison, questioning if he's ever gonna get out, questioning if his time in isolation is spent for the Lord or wasted. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's telling John, don't pay attention to my words and actions. Yes, that proves who I am. But if you want to hear a message of hope, go to the scriptures. I'm not going to tell you that scripture. I'm not going to tell you that the Lord is going to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. I want you to remember the scriptures. I want you to turn to God, to turn to the word of God, because the scripture has authority. Not the words of Jesus, not the actions of Jesus, but the scriptures. Jesus came because the scriptures foretold of it, because it was God's prophecy. The scripture has authority. We see this as a theme throughout Luke, that scripture has authority. We see it when he's young and studying in the temple. He didn't have to do that. He's Jesus. (laughs) He can just remember all of it. He can recite it. He He is the word of God. But we see him giving authority to the scriptures by studying it daily. We see John giving authority to the scriptures by studying it daily. So Jesus gives hope to John by saying, remember the scriptures because that is your authority. Remember where I am pointing you to. Trust me, your time in prison is not wasted. Your time in isolation, your time in questioning is not wasted. Yes, we do eventually see John brought to death in prison. But what's important is that John served his biblical prophecy in order for Jesus to come. We see in we see in, in Malachi and in Matthew about uh, that John is in the scriptures. Malachi talks about the one who is to come to lead the way. Matthew talks the same thing about when John comes out of the wilderness to say and speak the scriptures that there is one to come before the one who is to come to lead the way. John is of prophecy just as Jesus is. They're still intertwined here. They may not be best friends, but there's hope here. John knows who Jesus is. He's not looking for confirmation. He's looking for hope. It's a cry out to Jesus to say, come and save me. Why am I here? Who are you if you aren't who you say you are? Don't we do that every day? I know I do that. I mean, just before the pandemic, things were were easy. Don't you think it's easy when you're healthy spiritually and mentally and emotionally to see the good that God does? Happens to me all the time. I'm good in community. I'm happy in my life. My anxiety is not crippling me. Things are going well in my life when I'm healthy spiritually and emotionally, mentally. And then you see a good example of the pandemic coming last year. Everyone's in isolation. That was really hard on someone like me, and I know it was hard on every single one of you. We still continue to do community via Zoom, Uh, We continued to have the people close to us, but it's not the same. 
You know, it's really hard to see the goodness of God when people around you aren't talking about it actively, when you're not proclaiming it actively to other people, especially when you have a hard time with your prayer life, thanking God before you ask for things. Uh, I'm really bad at that. It's hard in isolation to remember who God is. It's hard in isolation to remember who Christ says he is. This doubt isn't wrong from John. We see that. We see it throughout all of Scripture with people of God doubting their life, doubting God, doubting what they're doing in their ministry. We see Abraham questions God and doubts his life after God gives him a vocal promise, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham doubts him years after years after years until God fulfills that promise. We see Moses question his ability to lead his people. He doesn't think that he's cut out for it. He stumbles over his words. He is an old man. But we see what he did. We even see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to God, praying for hours that he sweats blood, saying, God, if there is another way, let me take it. He knew what was to come. He knows the scripture. He knows his purpose on earth. But he still cries out to God, please, if there's another way, let me do it. He's obedient to God, of course, because that is his purpose on earth. That is his purpose to come, is to be our fulfillment. But he still questions, he still doubts, he still fears. That fear and that doubt is okay. I'm not here to tell you that don't ever doubt God in your life because it's wrong. <laughs> don't hear me say that. What we do is important to respond in that. There's a great man that wrote this article I read, Paul Tillich. He said, doubt isn't the opposite of faith, it's an element of faith. It's something to use. Eugene Peterson said that belief in God does not exempt us from feelings of abandonment by God. Praising God does not inoculate us from doubts about God. No, doubt's not wrong. It doesn't make you lesser in the eyes of the Lord the Lord doesn't want us enslaved by our doubts. That's the important thing that we see here. They're meant to push us closer to the Lord and direct us to Scripture, just like Jesus says to John here. Now, as we move forward, we see the people go back. We see John's disciples leave. Uh, after John's messengers leave, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. See, I think there's a, this weird jump here of Jesus' disciples leaving, and then John or Jesus all of a sudden just kind of talking about John, speaking of John's character and of John's purpose. And it makes me wonder what happened in between that for Jesus to feel like he had to talk about John specifically. Because I feel like the crowd here doesn't really know what's going on behind the scenes. He just, they just know that Jesus has done all these miracles. So I, I think that what happened here is the people kind of see what's going on. They see John questioning, they see John doubting, and they send his people. And so I think Jesus hears the people speaking, the people start to speak. 
less of John and start to think, like, why is he doubting? Why is a great man of John doubting? And I think that's what response, uh, what leads Jesus to this response here in verse 25 and 24 through 25. So we see uh, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. It's an interesting statement that we hear from from Jesus here. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. It's kind of confusing for people in this time. See, it's a little bit easier to understand for us because we live in the age of fulfillment. We live in this life that's post-Jesus' sacrifice. But that's different for these people. They're kind of living in the middle of it. See, what Jesus is trying to say here is John is the greatest of those to live among people, those to be born of people, to be born of the world. But every one of us, born of the kingdom of God after the age of fulfillment is greater than John because we get to see the age of fulfillment. We get to see the fruit of Jesus' sacrifice. These people here get to witness Jesus' sacrifice. John doesn't get to see that. John dies in prison, but John served his purpose just as Jesus is going to on the cross. We start to move on from all of this that's going on uh, and we see Jesus talk about, uh, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. Rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. We see it, two different crowds of people here. We see the crowd who responds well to what Jesus is trying to say here about the age of fulfillment, about John, about what's going on, about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming later. And they respond well. They say, okay, I give my life to you. Okay, I'm good. I got to be baptized by John. And they felt the conviction that came along with the happiness because of that conviction, because they get to live a life for God despite their actions. But then there's the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. What's important there is where he says God's purpose for themselves. We often look at the Pharisees and we think, Pharisees bad, Jesus good. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of times in the scriptures where we can relate to the Pharisees. What's important to note here, God's purpose for themselves. This message is for them too. Jesus doesn't just stay in this area and know the Pharisees are there and just kind of ignore them and just kind of hope that they don't cause a, a riot or cause a trouble or arrest him. 
speaking to them too. Now, they don't respond the same way that everybody else does, but that's because they were raised in the scriptures. It's important to understand that. It's important to understand where the Pharisees are coming from. Now, don't hear me when I talk about the Bible in a way that it's written as this movie, you know? Because yes, the Bible is a great story. It's the greatest story ever written. But it was true. But they say that what makes a good movie in the action is a good story in the action is there is, of course, a hero that we can rally behind. But there's also a villain who's understandable, a villain, who, a villain whose mission we can relate to at times, who we can understand even if that isn't our life. That's who the Pharisees are in this situation. And some of you here are going to feel the conviction. Some of you are going to relate to the God, God's people who are standing here happy in God. But some of you sometimes relate to the Pharisees to say, and you're going to feel convicted to say that that's me sometimes. To be stubborn in your ways to reject God because it's not the way you want it. <laughs> to reject God because it's not the way you know. See, the background on the Pharisees here is who they are. As a, they are, they are self-proclaimed, self-given, and uh, anointed people to, uh, to lord over the scriptures, over the Old Testament. See, they've studied, they've devoted their life to studying the scriptures. They know the scriptures. But the difference with them is they don't truly believe that Jesus is the person that Isaiah speaks of in 61, that he is who he speaks of in, in prophecy of someone to come. They spend their whole time ridiculing Jesus because they believe him to be a fool. They don't truly give themselves over. They don't open themselves up. They're stuck in their ways. Because they, it, I mean, it'd be hard for us too you know, these days of like if someone were to show up and say, I'm Jesus and do some miraculous things, like of course, miraculous things are special and they'd catch our attention. But would we really believe with everything that's going on that Jesus would come during our time? Like that's where the Pharisees are right here. I heard this story once about uh, thinking of it as like a, a little soccer game, a little league soccer game, where these, these kids are just learning how to play soccer. Uh, and, and they're playing a game, and for the whole first half, they're kind of figuring out how to play this game. They're starting to figure out, okay, I run this direction. I keep them from going this direction. I kick the ball this way, but there's still kind of this disconnect of what's going on. And then we kind of confuse them a little bit and we switch them up at halftime and make them go the other direction. And so the whole second half, first part of the second half, they're like going this way when we're telling them to go this way. And they're just kind of confused because they're like, well, you just spent 60 minutes telling me to go that way. I don't really, okay, no, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's the Pharisees here. They, they don't understand. They're stubborn in their ways because they've spent their entire lives devoted to one way, devoted to the Old Testament way, devoted to the commandments being the way of heaven, the commandments being the way of salvation. So they have to live and lord over the law and live by the law. Who is this man Jesus coming to say that the law no longer is lord over us, that the law 
is not our way to salvation. Who is this man, Jesus, to come and say that I'm a brood of vipers? <laughs> Who is this man, Jesus, coming to say otherwise of what God has told thousands and thousands of generations of people in the Old Testament. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to become stubborn. We see two different sects of people, right? We see the faithful doubters, and we see the skeptical unbelievers. John is a faithful doubter. He's someone who serves his life for God. Someone who says, okay, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I am not worthy to be baptized by you. You should be baptizing me. He knows who God is. He knows what the scriptures are. He knows what is to come. He studied the same scriptures that the Pharisees did, but he understands change is coming, and he understands that that changes now. But he still doubts. We do that all the time. And then there's the Pharisees who are the skeptical unbelievers. They're stubborn. They don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They don't believe that there is a new to come. They don't understand that that time is now. It's easy for us to do that when it comes to who God is in our life. It's easy to say, God, I want it this way. I do that all the time. I'm so future focused that I just want to to think of my life going in one direction. And when God kind of gives me this idea that I probably shouldn't do that, that I should be going another way, it's hard. I'm a really stubborn person when it comes to things that I'm passionate about and things that I've spent time working towards. It's hard to think of something else. I've had, <laughs> I've had emotional breakdowns. I've changed my major three times. <laughs> Every single time I cried about it because I was like, why? Why does this not feel good? Like, I thought this was fun. I thought this is where I was going. Why, why would it be any different? Why isn't this what I want it to be? It's hard for change. It's hard to listen to God to say, I got you. To say, this is my plan and it is good. No, doubt isn't wrong. But who are we going to be? Are we going to be the faithful doubters to say, God, I understand that I'm doubting. I understand that I'm fearful. I understand that I'm scared. I understand that I don't know what to do but I trust you, so help me understand. Help me figure out what's next. Help me figure out why. It's a hard question, why? But it's necessary to ask. Because God doesn't want to just leave us hanging. See, we're really blessed to have a God that wants to be a part of our lives, that wants to be part of the adventure, wants to be part of the worship, he gave us choice to say, I choose you. He, gave, he wanted us to choose him. He wants us to love him. He wants us to make the choice every day to put away ourselves and say, God, I choose you. Put away our doubts and our fears and say, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. Are we going to do that? Or are we going to sit in our stubbornness and our anger and our frustration and say, God, I don't want to do that? I don't believe that that is the right way. This is what I know, and I'm going to stick to it, and I'm going to reject 
your choice for me. Because I don't think you're actually saying that. I don't think you are who you say you are in this moment. We have a lot of doubt of what are the voices coming in our heads? Is this from God? Does God really want me to do this? Or is this myself? Does God really want me to do this? Or is this the enemy? It's okay to wrestle with that. But what we see from Jesus in this moment is Jesus says, turn to the scriptures. He tells John, remember the scriptures. I showed you who I am. You know who I am. Don't worry. You'll be free. He wasn't freed physically, but he was freed spiritually. He got to see what was to come. He got to fulfill his prophecy. Isn't that the greatest thing? To say, I did what God told me to do. I did what God wanted me to do. That's the freedom that John gets to see. So we should find hope in what Jesus is pointing us to. So not be stubborn, not to be the skeptical unbeliever, to be, but be the, the trusting, faithful doubter 